Welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of Beardies Assemble. I'm joined by Rory and Samir and the sort of mission statement, if you will, of this is diving into nerd culture, but tying it in with business. And for the first episode, we've decided to dive into a big one, which is the MCU, so the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what's next for them, as well as what other businesses can learn from their triumphs, mistakes, and as well, their marketing strategies. So Rory and Samir, welcome as well. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you very much, John. It's nice to be here with you guys. Loving the beards, by the way. <laughs> Are you going to braid it? Because that's no, my plan. I don't know. I might be inspired by Thor's braid. Yes. In, uh, in uh, Endgame. So let's see what happens. And I'm clearly putting on the pounds as well. So <laughs> Living that Thor life, getting that Thor bod, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more achievable now. <laughs> so I guess to... Put a spoiler notice just in case anyone forgot that the spoiler ban has been lifted we are going to talk about endgame and what follows so if you haven't seen it yet pause it see it then return and continue listening and i think if we're going to talk about you know the business side of it that's a brilliant marketing strategy as well the fact that they announced before their second weekend actually on monday the spoiler ban is lifted because there's going to be a trailer with all these spoilers i got calls from a couple of friends saying have you seen it yet i need to see it this weekend i cannot get spoiled and I guess a lot of people that were just so afraid of it being spoiled for them rushed to the cinemas to see it before that point. So mm -hmm. from a marketing perspective, that's, it's a brilliant way of basically they're saying for the first week, they're saying, please do not spoil it. Do not spoil it. Then they go, we're going to spoil it. Go see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, there's a few little strokes of genius that, that, that they've had over the years, you know, with the original um first films having those end credit scenes that was something you know that people would wait around for and it was the promo for you know either the next movie or some sort of hidden secret and i think that was a really smart move to add those in there of course it's it's harking back to the days of original cinema when they used to do the 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 the, the trailers used to be at the end that's why they were called trailers so it was sort of bringing that back again which i thought was a really smart move um some yeah. really smart marketing moves yeah well to um to pile on some more nerdery to that, I'd actually say that it reaches a lot further back than that. Mm. Because if you look at Arabian Nights, it's a whole story about someone who manages to stay alive by keeping the king busy and excited about stories because she always tells him one story and then starts another one and stops before. She always ends on a cliffhanger so that he has to come, come the next day, see it, come the next day. you know. And I think that's what Marvel has done really well. Even people that weren't massively into, you know, superhero movies or sci-fi or anything, they just bought into the characters and they cared enough to sit through the whole credit sequence. They cared enough to see 22 movies to see it finish its arc. And even in Endgame, if you think about it, the last 8 to 15 minutes is basically the post credit scene. It's setting up the next arcs. It's setting up Sam as Captain America. It's setting up, you know, Thor as part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They really did everything they would have done in a post credit scene there. They teased what's coming next. And I think that's a brilliant move to make as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me of Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King, and their multiple endings they had at the end. But still, I was emotionally so invested in that considering I had watched the two previous films the night before. So I was on that journey once again with them. And, um, 
but that's a, that's a brilliant reference when you're talking about the Arabian Nights and uh, how they did it. But I think, again, it was, uh, there's some integral figures that I think that made it work. And Russo brothers definitely uh, had it, and Kevin Feige for having the overall vision of all of this. But then at the same time, having, which is quite rare in business, learning their lessons quite early on. And because there was issues at the beginning of the MCU in terms of some of the stories, particularly around Thor, and it wasn't getting that traction. And they were brave, well, Kevin Feige was brave enough to go and say, okay, we need to go on a bit of a course correction here. And he kind of let the reins, because they were, they were known to be quite restrictive or quite controlling, mm-hmm. but they let the reins happen and they let the directors do what they want to express themselves. But then I say it's kudos to the Russo brothers who had this ability to weave all the individual stories together and then create it into a narrative at these linchpin moments of the Avengers, uh, which was, I thought was bloody amazing. And I, I, it's difficult for me to see any other directors that could potentially do that to make it land as much as it did, whilst exploiting the potential strengths of individual directors, say like Taika Waititi or James Gunn, and, um, and this particular narrative style, which was all individually great, but then to be able to pull on that and then to combine it, it's been amazing. Yeah, I, I think what, what they've done is, is massively impressive. Um, you know, not only have they, they launched, you know, individual successful franchises, you know, and, you know, millions, billions of dollars at the box office and, of course, on merchandising, but, but they've done what no other franchise has really successfully done before. They've, they've essentially serialized film. Um, you know, granted there are some films that have got uh, connections and crossovers and stuff, but a consistent story arc over a decade, that's impressive. That's really, really impressive. And, and, and they've done it, you know, they've found a formula that works because, um, I think we've seen how hard it is to get it right. You know, if you look at the, the failed, um, amazing Spider-Man reboots and, and you look at DC continually hitting the brick wall with Man of Steel, Justice League and Aquaman, or of course, you know, Wonder Woman and Shazam, it, we've seen how hard it is. And for them to be able to pull off, you know, a serialization of film and do it well, it's, it's so impressive. It's really, really impressive. And I think that's where it comes to that point of they're kind of at the top of their game now. Where do they go from here? What's next? And, and I think they're going to certainly take a beat and take a breather. But I, I don't think there's any reason why they can't essentially restart that process again and, and set up another uh, a 10, 10 year arc. But I think, I think the smart move for them now is, is probably to make lots of small bets um, and, and, and just tweak and, and have a look and, and see, see what works. I think that's, that's probably the immediate term play because they've got some, some films scheduled coming up, but, but nothing to what they had previously. And I think as well, if they do what they did before, like you're saying, I think it'll have it almost, almost a different flavor to it because everyone knows what their formula is. Because if you think about it now, if people look back to Iron Man 1 or, you know, the first Thor, they'll definitely start seeing some signals of things that were important later on. And, you know, when people saw Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time, they probably didn't think, ah, yes, Peter Quill's getting something that will eventually be a part of a gauntlet that will end humanity. <laughs> like, um, except if people were very well versed in the comics, but even people who aren't, in this next upcoming sort of plethora of films, if they start hiding those little tidbits that might point to, let's say, a Secret Wars story arc, people will start picking up on it a lot quicker because 
the internet rumor mill will be spinning out so many ideas and thoughts and already are. So really, like you're saying, I think those small bets is really where it's at for them, but they have to make sure that it does tie into something bigger because I think that's what's kept them rolling even through some of the admittedly weaker films even when you know thor 2 didn't get the get the roaring applause that some of the other films got but people saw it and it ended up being quite important in the grand scheme of things because it included references to the infinity stones because it had those connections i, I agree i mean with with that as well it's like it's funny i was just reflecting on captain america's arc i didn't like the first avenger uh, that Captain America story was, I thought it was quite boring, to be honest. It's only afterwards when I, after Winter Soldier and Civil War, I, I, I loved him. He's one of my favorite characters now, and they had to go through that. And I think the same issue I've got with Captain Marvel as well. Just is not much resonance there. But saying all of this, I don't know. I, I don't know if they can repeat the success that they've, they've had. And if you think about it, it's, it's been a quite an emotional investment for people and it's been over 10 years. That's like a, that's a generation, almost like a generation of people. Um, and, and you're thinking about, am I going to, well, there's an option there to kind of say, how am I going to really be bothered to go and invest in it now again? Because it was fresh and new with Iron Man. It was something completely different. None of us had I'd seen it. It was first time we're seeing all these superheroes to like, now we've got to a point where it's just common now. Superheroes are common. People are aware of that. I don't know if they'll be able to repeat that as big a success. I mean, am I going to be as much invested in these new characters, which they're bringing out as much as not? Am I going to be willing to give another 10 years of myself kind of thing? I don't know. I probably will because we're just nerds at the end of the day. But from speaking, because it had captured quite a larger audience, I would say. I don't know if they'll be able to repeat that same success. Definitely, definitely they can, they can be braver with exploring the different, more different stories. Mm -hmm. They're going into space a lot more now with the, um, what's it called? The Eternals? Is it the Eternals? Yeah. Um, the Eternals, that's the story that they're looking, planning to do uh, and other potential areas. And there's no real talk yet. And I guess we'll find that out in Comic-Con when they're going to announce potential X-Men or Fantastic Four involvement. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if they've kind of reached their peak and whether we're going to see that kind of level of... Um, achievement again well i i wonder if the impact will as well be you know i i don't know whether they'll reach quite that peak again but i wonder if the characters that are still living because they don't really need to do more origin stories for quite a while now because people are already invested in these characters so even if they're not making two billion per film surely they can still manage to remain wildly profitable and continue this serialization in a slightly different manner because they don't have to build a world. The world is there now. I, I think I think that's interesting because I I was thinking you know have we reached superhero fatigue? Um, and I think that there is a slight sense of that. But I, I think superhero films. It's not to say that they won't work work anymore. But but I think they they'll always be around because they fit into that sort of action adventure sci fi genre those tropes are always going to be there um but i think what audiences are really hungry for is is a different type of storytelling formula 
um, just, you know, like it was so refreshing when Guardians of the Galaxy came along. It was just so different to all the other superhero yeah. films. Yeah. It was just a different style. And they did that again with, with Thor Ragnarok. It was that kind of fun, different style. Um, and I think if they find that again, they can, they can at least milk that for, for a period of time. But I think that's, that's going to be the, the, the turning point for them is, is how they find that style. Because I don't think they could do, say, wait and then start all over again doing the same kind of style again. I don't think that would work. Um, so they're going to need to find that. And I think a lot of the effort right now for them is probably going to be put towards Disney streaming service, the, uh, Disney Plus, um, yeah. and all those, those, those many, many uh, serializations. Um, I think they're going to try and have a bit of play with there and see what's working, what people are, are, are interacting with. Because there's some kind of weird little duo pairings that they've picked out yeah. there, um, which, which will be interesting to see because nobody had ever heard of Guardians of the Galaxy before, you know, the mainstream audience. They had no idea what it was. And it was, it was a, a big hit so i think there's there's certainly some interesting things in there but they'll they'll need to play it differently than they have done before yeah and i i think even taking it to the complete opposite direction and playing around with more serious films as well like if you look at winter soldier mm. when that came out that felt fresh in a completely different way it wasn't light and sort of fluffy it was serious it felt almost like um you know a spy thriller more so than it felt a superhero film and I'd love to see them explore that in a way that still, I realize that they're not going to make, you know, an R-rated um, Captain America film or something. But, you know, if they sort of find that balance, that would be quite interesting. But I think, you know, moving over to sort of the business side of things in terms of, I guess, the successes, the struggles, because Samir, you mentioned they learned quite quickly how to respond and how to react to those struggles. So what do you think is a good parallel with a business in a completely different sector that's had a similar, I guess, career or traje trajectory as the MCU has? I want to say this is someone exactly like that, but I was just reading recently about Microsoft mm. and how it's now, you know, a trillion dollar company and it's regained its kind of coolness and prestige again um, from from back in the day when Bill Gates was around and 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 how the leader the, the CEO Satya Nadal he how he transformed it but he transformed this big massive beast internally and it was and there's so many so many uh, doing a topic on him is, is I think a worthwhile looking at um, but he's transformed it from internal he had to change this massive old-fashioned kind of business organization of Microsoft into something kind of much more sleek and fresher and it's going into a completely different direction. And, and I see that what the blessing being is that what Kevin Feige did, which I thought was good and I think leaders need to be doing is, is recognizing when they are going down a path where it's, um, you know, what we need to change or, and something that Steve Jobs did, he was just a natural disruptor. And, yeah. um, uh, so, and, and being aware of the potential pitfalls, and it's like taking, for example, if we take the other parallel to uh, DC, where they it's been too late for them to kind of course correct, and they go and have been. It's just the way they handle it. Mm. I think there's a massive lesson in how to handle when things go bad, or when things go crap, or when things go shit, which happens in an organization, depending on your product life cycle, and depending on even whatever scale it is. You can be selling the most simplest of products and going, 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 and it's just carrying on. How do we make it more? innovative or how do we change it or how can we make it more fresh and those same principles apply but it requires a certain type of mindset uh which 
I feel Kevin Feige is a great example of someone who's doing that whilst not taking fully control over it. Although even and though it's still more questionable now with Disney being the overall owner, don't know how much of that's still going to play, or they're still going to give him the full flex of Marvel to go and do what he wants, or is Disney influence going to be there now? Are we going to start seeing more? I don't know, kiddish type stories, or and you kind of see a bit of that happening maybe in Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. There's the core element of it is kind of missing. And I don't know how much of that is to do with the corporate structure and strategy and influence compared to the person's original vision. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think yeah, it totally, totally makes sense, especially um, sort of Disney's in a very similar position to, to Apple. Apple um, doesn't really want to make R rated content. They don't want to go hardcore. They like to be family friendly. They like to be that, that all encompassing for every audience. And Disney's is going to have that same problem. They're not going to be uh, as, as able uh, or as agile to, to make those R-rated uh, versions of the films that we all want to see. Uh, so they're in a slightly difficult predicament there because you, you've got to appease you know, the board and the shareholders and make sure that everybody's happy with the type of content that, that you're putting out there. And I think what you said, Samir, about um, Satya Nadella is, 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 is so accurate because he came into a, a, a company that was resting on its laurels. It was still very much the old windows of, of old. And, and if you look at it now, I would argue that it's much more uh, innovative like um, what Apple used to be. They're, they're coming out with really innovative products. They're, they're really switching things up and they're much more concerned about user experience and, yeah. and adding value to that. You know, you know they, they launched their, their apps for Outlook on iOS devices, you know, a couple of years ago, you would have thought that would be impossible. Um, you know, and as they clearly said, we, we want to launch and be where our consumers are. So it's a complete shift in mindset of, of the age old, you know, Microsoft with, with um, uh, Bill, Bill Gates and um, Steve Ballmer. It's, it's a completely different world. And I think, you know, Microsoft's an excellent example of a complete course correction, you know, massive course correction, and they've done it really well you know, you look at DC and they've really struggled. They've really, really struggled. And, and I don't think they learned the lessons. If you look at Man of Steel and then the follow-up Batman versus Superman, they just didn't learn any of the lessons from, from the previous film. And then with, with a just utter disaster suicide squad, it was just failing after failing after failing. And that's clearly a sign of mismanagement and, and, and people not learning from, from, from previous mistakes. Um, so that I think there's, there's, there's so much to, to take from that and so many companies and businesses that are continually making the same mistakes. And, and as, as that age old, you know, uh, saying goes, you know, it's the way we've always done it. It's, it's a, it's a terrifying phrase. You know, yeah. this is how we've always done it. It's, it's a scary phrase. And, uh, you know, Microsoft is, is very lucky to have someone like Satya Nadella, uh, come in there and, and shake things up. So yeah, good, good, good parallels with that, I think. And I think as well, Apple is a great parallel, especially because you can so easily compare, you know, DC, Marvel, Microsoft, Apple, but one that I thought of as well while we were talking is Nintendo. Mm. Nintendo yeah. had a winning streak of, you know, the NES, the SNES, the Game Boy, Nintendo 64, but then had a bit of a struggle around the GameCube because the PS2 was dominated. Then they came out with the Wii and it just blew up in a completely different audience. Then the Wii U, but they, they've always sort of bounced back from these, it's almost like win this generation, lose the next. And it's been this way for a couple of cycles, but I genuinely wonder now with the Nintendo Switch being as big as it is, how long can they um, 
to say the same as you said, Rory, rest on their laurels with things like Mario, Zelda, which are becoming very formulaic or have been very formulaic for a long time. And I genuinely wonder, similar to Marvel, what's next for them? Will they just release another console with the same type of games? Or will they open their doors to either more third-party involvement or even shift their focus more on opening their games to other platforms, seeing as, for example, Microsoft have now released Xbox Live or Nintendo Switch, as odd as that sounds. So I think there are a lot of interesting parallels that we could probably spend hours diving into. But, yes, let's, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think actually it could be a good time to start wrapping up and really um, know what any of the listeners out there think about this. What do you think would be the best next step for the MCU? But also, what parallels do you see? And what lessons could businesses learn from the marketing genius of the MCU? 